When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I appreciate the universities that have recruited me, believed in me. That being said, I'll be attending the University of Nebraska. Go Big Red. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. And I give up 600 yards, and I'd give up 500 more. Ah, yes, Bo, that little ditty is indeed dedicated to you and the LSU defense. Just don't forget to keep pointing the thumb down there in Baton Rouge. All right, Honk, we'll talk a little bit more about that LSU performance. Uh, Also with Mac. What's up, Redcasters? Hey, I'm looking forward to doing the show, but I'm also looking forward to finishing the NBA playoffs tonight. Finals tonight, right? No. No? It's over? (laughs) What? Way over, yeah. You're not the only one that missed uh, Game 6 last night, Mac. It's okay. Who won? Uh, Vancouver. Oh, Vancouver. Okay. Well, it was the Raptors, I think, actually. Huh? <laughs> oh, the Raptors. No, wait a second. That was last year. Um, also with Boomer. Well, don't worry, Mac. I think uh, the NBA preseason starts on Tuesday, so you'll be picking right back <laughs> up. Uh, no time missed there. Turnaround time. Yeah. And i just also like to uh, you know, say it's kind of been a challenging year for the Redcast with Sports being what it is, trying to predict this season, what's going to happen, you know, with all the uncertainty and confusion. You've got chaos like AP voters ranking teams with no wins over ones that do, SEC refs with terrible calls favoring the powers that be, Pelini defenses flaming out, giving up record-breaking seasons. I mean, who could predict any of this happening this year? It's just, it's, it's, it's been a crazy year so far with the podcast. Well, with that, Boomer, um... <laughs> Let, I have two special guests on the show tonight, Redcast Rob and Producer Skip, who um, will be helping launch the Go Big Betcast, where we help um, our listeners make the most intelligent and informed uh, gambling decisions possible. Right, Skip? Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Uh, it's easy to say that right now until everyone starts keeping track of our bets, but that is what is happening. We're doing a little spin-off. Joey <laughs> is leaving friends and starting the BetCast. So we plan to release a show every Thursday with a lot of information to help better inform you uh, should you choose to dabble over in council bets or in a, some other legalized state or perhaps in ne- Nebraska soon when it becomes legal or if you dabble offshore, uh, however, or with uh, some Italian guy in the basement of Godfather's Pizza. However you make your bets, we'll try to get you some information and we'll be focusing on on the Big Ten uh, in general uh, and college football and uh, giving you a couple good uh, plays. Excellent. Hey, Skip. You know, I think one of the cool things about the show, you know, we've been talking about this for a a while, is, you know, you've been dabbling in this for for quite a while. You've definitely gone to Vegas um, for years um, for football, basketball, and others. Um, I've done a little bit, mainly when I go to Vegas. And, And Rob, you've just been kind of learning the ropes yourself lately. You had a good week last week, though, right, Rob? Yeah, this weekend was really good for me. I was three for three on my parlays. I took a random, like, ultimate fighting or whatever they call it, MMA parlay on Saturday night. But during the day, I was two for two. So um, I've just found that in college football right now, just take the over on everything. <laughs> because because as we've discussed, I think, already three different times tonight in the first five minutes, um, Bo Pelini cannot coach defense for some reason. And uh, quite a few other SEC D coordinators can't coach defense, even with poor weather conditions. Right, Skip? We uh, were having a conversation um, before the Alabama Ole Miss game, and uh, we were kind of split on that one. I happened to take the over. You were confident in the under, and um, I I got that one on you. You were on the right side, Dave, yes. One thing (laughs) we'll tell you, this will be an entertainment podcast. Uh, I don't know if you should expect to get rich off it, but it's a fun way to spend some of your extra extra dollars in entertainment and uh, hopefully break even or make some more. Uh, But we we hope to give you information 
and thoughts, follow the trends, and things like that to uh, help you make an informed decision. So, so Honky, that could be helpful for you, for example, right? You're not a big big gambler, but uh, hopefully maybe you could pick up a few nuggets from Skip in all of his years of experience on on some things like, you know, should I you know, tease this bet? Should I buy down that spread, right? All these terms that you probably have no idea what we're talking about right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, over, under, any Audi, all those. I mean, I put a lot of time Hanky in effort. Hanky-pankies. Hanky-pankies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we have a mailbag question from Jeremy in Minnesota for later in the show that we'll use, but uh, he did uh, give us a PS, and he goes, I grew up in Vegas, and I go to there two to three times a year still. What other qualifications do I need to get on the Go Big Bedcast? So, uh, Skip, is there, you know, to get Jeremy and, and others on it, you know, do, what qualifications do they need to have? You know, he's got to just show us uh, a, more of a history of degenerate gambling <laughs> would help. I wouldn't be opposed to money. <laughs> you know, send us, you know, maybe we'll have him send us uh, his two, three picks of the week. And if uh, he hits uh, over 65% of the first few weeks, maybe we'll start uh including his picks in there. So at least for this week, if you have something that you want to send to the BetCast, uh, you can send it to us at GoBigRedCast at Gmail. Uh, they're going to be setting up a separate account, and they'll be probably talking about that on the show, which, Skip, I mean, when's that going to be recording, and when do you expect that going live? We're going to plan to record Wednesday nights, release Thursdays. Uh, so if you got any questions every week just give them to us by wednesday evening or whether you just want to learn more like what is a teaser i mean we're going to be covering some of those educational points and all the options of betting as well um and we hope that this will just be maybe a 20 minute entertainment piece on (laughs) thursday and and we're pretty confident we can stick to that 20 minutes because honky will not be joining the show isn't that right that's correct and for anyone that is trying to make any money off of the show it is a very good thing that i have nothing to do with it and Mac, I would say probably the same thing. Yep. <laughs> Since we have Redcast Robin Skip, let's talk a little little bit more about uh, what we saw in college football last weekend, which was a really good weekend of football. Uh, you know, with the SEC playing, it does feel a little bit more real. And uh, there was several games, upsets um, of note, right? We saw Florida, Texas A&M, a high-scoring affair with uh, A&M pulling off a, a, I don't know if it's a signature victory for, for Jimbo Fisher, but an important one to kind of bounce back after that tough loss against Alabama. We did see LSU lose again, giving up 45 points to uh, the Missouri Tigers. Um, and I think a backup quarterback and um, in a game that, <laughs> talking about a spread, started at I think about a 20 21 point spread in LSU's favor. They moved it to Columbia and uh, dropped precipitously, but LSU still couldn't cover that, right? So, well, what are your takes on the SEC upsets? Well, LSU's lost two giant spreads straight up this year. You know, I mean, yep. it's right. the defense, uh, as we've seen, has been pretty crazy across the board when you count NFL too, and they've just been uh, jumping up the over unders every week to try to catch up. Um, and I think one of the things everyone thinks of the fewer practices this year, um, fewer team meetings and all of that organization and new coaches coming in uh, when they don't really have spring football canceled and, and these things were defense is the first to um, have a hard time catching up with that. And uh, I think even when you've got uh, SEC who who uh, touts themselves as the closest thing to the NFL in college football. I mean, they're they're that's looking right. like the Big Twelve these last first yeah, three weeks. Right. The incredible numbers of scoring in that conference. You know, I was thinking about this a little bit today, and you know, it was in response to all the the fun at, at poking at, at Bo Pelini and that LSU performance where they give up, um, like you said, six hundred yards. If you look at the Alabama Ole Miss game. Alabama has 700 yards of offense. They need all of that because Ole Miss had 600 yards of offense. I think Alabama scored on nine straight possessions with a touchdown. Um, just, just incredible scoring there in the SEC. You know, do you remember at the beginning of this decade, we saw a Alabama LSU regular season game finish nine six? You remember that? Yes. 
And do you remember how, at that point, the Big 12 was the highest scoring, and still it is, but at that point, it was the first high scoring league, it felt like. And the national pundits would look at the SEC and say, like, well, you know, the SEC has such great talent. It's NFL, you know, almost NFL quality talent on that defensive side of the ball. They would shut down those Big 12 offenses. And there's the example, 9-6, right? You know, I mean, that's that's what you expect from the SEC. And now you, you look at the Big 10 and you, you'll you talk to some other of our, our fan bases, Iowa and Wisconsin and others, and they'll tell you Nebraska can't win with a high-scoring uh, wide open offense that you gotta gotta grind it out. You're gonna have to run the ball. You're gonna have to win low scoring affairs. But that was the case ten years ago. People said the same thing about the SEC, and now we're not seeing it in the SEC any longer. Do you feel like the Big Ten is the exception to the rule? You still are gonna have to win twenty four twenty one in a lot of games, or do you feel like you know that maybe if Nebraska and some other of these offenses trend towards Ohio State, that we'll see more high-scoring Big Ten affairs. Yeah, I mean, you look at Nick Saban right now. His Alabama defenses didn't allow 45 or more points in the first 110 SEC games from 2007 to 2019. Uh, They've now allowed 45 or more points in three of their last six games alone. So certainly there's a shift in the tide there. Um, When I talked with Jeffrey the Greek uh, with Eyes on Big podcast back in April, I brought this up to him about the Big Ten having an advantage I think over any other conference because of the styles of offense that we play hard nose, you know, offense is going to start to be something of a differentiator. And you saw it last year in the bowl game when Minnesota just ran through a more talented Auburn team. The SEC is only getting further this direction, bringing in Leach, bringing in Kiffin and bringing in Bo. And quite honestly, I said at the time, I thought Bo's defense is going to be perfect for the SEC because it's built to stop those spreads and all that. So all the more crazy what's happened here the last couple of weeks. Um, At the end of the day, I think what Nebraska is doing in the Big Ten is going to be successful offensively just because flat out I think it's going to be successful. We've seen it with Ohio State, too. I mean, we don't have to line up in an I formation and just run it at teams. Uh, Ohio State has more than shown that. Penn State has shown that offensively. Nebraska can do that. The question is, can you control the clock? Can you control the way the game is being played so that you're not constantly putting your defense into bad situations. That's the thing that seems to happen with some of these spread teams. You score so fast or you're three and out so fast that you're getting the ball right back to the team. Those are the things that Nebraska can't afford to do. And I think there's things that that we can build into this offense, mobile QBs, power running game, tight ends on the field. There's things that we can do that can differentiate ourselves from a traditional old Mike Leach kind of spread offense. But at the end of the day, I think that this offense, Nebraska is going to score some points no matter what. I think we're going to flat out score some points on Big Ten or whoever. Is it going to be enough to win games? We'll see. I mean, the defense is going to have to step up on our side, no doubt. I got a question for you on that note. Do you think, given the Big Ten starting later, that they've had more time to get their stuff in order, get their defenses in order, that maybe they won't see a little of this unorganized crazy upsets coming in the first week of the Big Ten play like we saw in the SEC and Big 12. Well, I hope that there's a, at least one upset the first weekend. But... Yeah, that'd be fantastic. You've already heard Frost talk about the physicality in practice, and they've had to kind of fast-forward that to prepare for the shortened you know, offseason. But I do think it's a, a direct kind of result of seeing how these other teams are tackling and, and how bad the defensive look early on, and it is going to be a problem for us considering how many defensive line we're breaking in. That is a big question going forward. The Ohio State game is interesting because it's kind of going to be strength on strength. I feel like Ohio State's offense is going to come out fire, and I think ours, of the two sides of the ball coming out better, offense is going to be the the most likely. Mm-hmm. You know, it might hurt a team like Wisconsin when we play them. I don't know, but yeah, mm-hmm. but hopefully they're putting extra emphasis on on contact in practice. They say they are, but I've heard lots of things. The thing that surprised me, it's one thing to be spread and put up a lot of yards. Look, we gave up 400-plus passing yards back in the day to Louisiana Tech, right? We still can win it by multiple touchdowns because I've never given as much credit to a passing yard as to a running yard. But what Ole Miss did to Alabama, to have two guys run for 120 yards plus each, to be able to physically run the ball down the field against Alabama, 
that was unique to me. And I think that's something that needs to be unique about what Nebraska does here in the Big Ten out of a spread. It's something that Ohio State Ohio State can line up in shotgun and spread, and they can run the ball at you as well as Iowa or Wisconsin do in a more traditional sense. So Nebraska needs to be able to do that. We've started to see that at times last year. Rob has given me a little bit of, of guff for already saying, you know, how many multiple times or how well Mills did a year ago against Wisconsin. So I won't say his stats again. 17 carries, 11 yards per carry. But that's not the point. So we need to be physical. We need to be able to run the ball against anybody we're playing. I, at the end of the day, that needs to be a part of this offense. If we can't run the ball and then you can't control the clock, if we can't do that, then I think we could be in a position where we're turning the ball back around, you know, punting the ball away and giving the, the opponents, you know, the, the ball in, in good situations and putting our defense in bad spots. That's what we don't want to do. Let me ask this question from a philosophical standpoint, Honky. You mentioned last week that the coaching staff has never just said, you know, we want to be the you know, a great defense. We just want to be a defense that fits with our offensive system. We turn the ball over, get the ball back to them. That's our role. Um, but now you see someone like Nick Saban giving up 48 points or vaunted Bo Pelini giving up 45 points and tons of yardage. And they're obviously not trying to just get the ball back. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're trying to be the best defense they possibly can be, and it's just a new world we're living in, right? Do you think maybe Chins and, and Frost just in general maybe needs to rethink that thought process considering the landscape that we now are in with this offensive-heavy college football that we see? It could be. I mean, turnovers are going to be important. I don't know what the answer is right now. I mean, you mentioned Bo. I mean, it's crazy. Bo has still has an unbelievable reputation as a defensive coordinator, and that dude has given up some of the biggest games at multiple schools now. Nebraska, obviously, run games and rushing and passing. Think about that. Like Boomer, he got two point three million, and he gave up four hundred yards to Melvin Gordon and and down the line, right? I mean, could, you could just get a little bit for that special teams coordinator position, right? <laughs> Yeah, or clock management coordinator. Yeah, whatever they need down there. LSU needs lots of help. So, But either way, you know, I could give up that many yards for half is what Bo's making. So I'll cut you a deal there, Ed. DM us. <laughs> All right. Um, other football games of note over the weekend. Um, I was very pleased with K-State performance uh, as well as Boston College, but that was only because of gambling purposes only. <laughs> well, I mean, how do you get out of this not talking about the Red River shootout? I mean, Oklahoma... You are the Atlanta Falcons of college football right now because that was a lead you should not have blown. And yes, you ended up winning the game, but if it takes you four overtimes to beat this Texas team. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is take the over every time when Texas and Oklahoma play each other. Skip, you won that one, right? I did. It's always nice to bet the over when the game goes to four overtimes. That's <laughs> you're sitting pretty in college sports. Well, you could have, uh, you know, took an alternative spread on that and like took the over at like 102 and still still covered. That would have paid well. If you take the over at 102, please do not listen to our show. (laughs) (laughs) We're getting there, though. That's right. Like, what's the highest over you've seen? Oh, I've seen them in the 80s in college. Yep, 80s. The game I was just talking about, the River Shootout, it was 74 was the over on that. So meaning, for those of you that don't know, that the combined score has to be over 74 total points. Even if you're looking at like a 35-35 game, you're still not going to cover on that. Yeah, I remember a Big 12 game in the last couple of years being somewhere around 84, 80, maybe 7, and that was the record at the time. I'm sure it was Texas Tech versus... Uh, yeah, the highest I'm seeing this week right now is uh, 77 for Arkansas and Ole Miss. SEC game, look at that. They can be pretty high. Yeah, SEC games, yeah. How is Arkansas's offense this year? Does anyone know? Good enough to score 28 points versus uh, Auburn last weekend. And the rest don't like them. <laughs> then take the under. Uh, I'd like to get Boomer's thought as a uh, fan of the Pirate. Uh, how he went from scoring 44 to 14 to 2 last week against <laughs> UK, which is an incredible fall. Well, once again, I guess if we really wanted to do an in-depth analysis, you'd have to go back and look at defensive coordinators for those various schools and general approaches to philosophy and life and stubbornness. and Yeah, there's a common denominator there. One has a brother named Carl. Yeah, one has a brother named Carl. I'm not sure about the others. The other two might have... Bother to look at film of the Apple Cups and things like that, and you're going to get that out of Mike Leach teams, and 
that's what they should expect. You know, one week they'll upset somebody, the next week they'll score two points and look terrible, and it, that's just part of the fun, I guess. It's the the roller coaster of the Pirates. So there you go. I would say that there's always an overreaction there, right? There's an overreaction when they beat LSU, overreaction when they don't score versus Kentucky. I mean, I think if you look at Leach's record, both at Texas Tech and then just at Washington State, he had success. Uh, but then he'd occasionally get shut down in a few games a year. Apple Cup is a great example there. So I think eventually uh, Mississippi State's offense will work under Leach. But he does run, run the same plays he did 15 years ago. You just got to be able to, to have the personnel and scheme to, to stop it. And that's not always the case. So it, it will be interesting to see how that evolves. The other game of the weekend that I thought was significant was A&M beating Florida. That's a week after A&M got beat badly by Alabama. Missouri beats LSU two weeks after getting beat badly by Alabama. Um, this week, Alabama plays Georgia. And if Alabama beats Georgia, and let's just say they do because that's what happens in the SEC. Mm-hmm. It's the greatest conference except 13 teams can't beat one team routinely unless you have that one magical year with Burrow. Short of that happening, no matter how many points Bama wants to give up, they just seem to kind of keep winning that conference. And so I'm just curious if this year, although the point totals might be a little bit different, I'm just kind of seeing the same results. So Honky's saying take the money line on Alabama. That's Honky's advice. I don't know what money line means. I'm going to listen on Thursday. Hopefully you guys give me a definition. The problem with it is the money line is so high on Alabama every week that's not worth taking. So that's This week would be an exception, Rob. I would just take Alabama to win. If, if, if I can bet that, Alabama's going to win. That's the money line, Honky. That, that's the money line, Honky. Yes. See, we've already, <laughs> already started the educational component of the BetCast. Skip, our job is done. The student becomes the teacher. Excellent, guys. Great stuff. Uh, Rob, Skip, thanks for stopping by. Really enjoyed it. Looking forward to being on the show here in a couple days. Yeah, so big game this week, Alabama. Six-point favorite right now. Over-unders at 59. We'll be talking about that, and we'll see you guys on Thursday. And now, Scarlet-Colored Glasses. All right, let's put on our Scarlet-Colored Glasses and talk all things Husker football. Honky, let's start off with some roster management. Well, Dave, you know, as we heard at the beginning of the uh, episode here, mm-hmm. right right before our music, uh, we had a little bit of a of an announcement from James Carney from Norris, and he has become the fifth in-state uh, player, the third tight end from the, basically the 50-mile radius, yeah. you know, along with Rollins and um, Fedoni. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Steve Wiltfong from 24-7 he sent out today a tweet that said, with Thomas Fedoni, uh, A.J. Rollins, and now James Carney, Nebraska is set to sign the best tight end class in the country, Mac. Look, that's local talent right yep. there and a, a position that obviously we are identifying as something that we're not going away from. We're not just going to become a five-wide receiver spread team. Yeah, at this point, you've got to kind of raise your eyebrows and pay attention. I mean, this is a trend now. I mean, with Volkolik last year mm-hmm. and then you know getting Fedoni was huge. It just it just seems like a very fertile area for tight ends right now, and it I would love to see how this is going to play out. This is going to be the year they're tight end kind of in some mm-hmm. ways. Like either we're going to use them or never use them, you know. But the way that they are they have focused their recruiting on this, you got to think we're going to see them in the, in the offense this year. And you know, with some of the rumblings of mm-hmm. you know other position groups maybe not being what we think we're they're going to be at the beginning of the season all the more reason to kind of focus on these tight ends and get a whole bunch of them in. And tight ends a group that you can get a bunch of guys and rotate yeah. them in. It's it's not that concerning if you have two or three good ones. It's one of those positions where you can have two or three really good ones and it, you don't get a lot of like static. I mean, I always had that for years. You know, we've heard and read some things on boards where it's not just double tight end sets this year. We might have two or three tight ends on the field at a time. And again, you can have three tight ends on the field and be a spread team. This is what's so interesting about what our offense could be is we could be a really physical presence. We could have big guys out there on the on the corners mm-hmm. and have a Mills in the backfield. With hybrid type players like Hickman, you could do so much, it seems like. Mac, can you think of teams out there today that, you know, are are taking three tight ends in a, a spread type formation where you're seeing that type of setup where you have guys six four, six five, six six, you know, two forty, two fifty out there? 
in a spread attack. I mean, I, I, I guess I couldn't say across the country, but could be really unique, I guess. Yeah, huh? I, I, within the conference, though, I can't even really think of that for sure. I mean, Iowa's done the two sets, but they're not really that spread like we are. No. Ohio State, you know, they always get such elite wide receivers. That's not how they really feature the game. You're right, Dave. It could be kind of a unique niche that we we develop here. And the ground is fertile. It's not like we're doing this because we can't recruit those other type of players. I mean, yeah. it's just a good, rich area right now. And Frost and company and Becton, man, this guy is just doing work on the recruiting scene. Not just, you know, he gets a lot of credit for the South, the, the Georgia guys. But he's doing work within the 70-mile radius as well. So mm-hmm. um, I, I am excited about that position. And I know I have said tongue-in-cheek, you know, prove it to me. I want to see the tight end position. But I feel like, man, this could be our X factor this year. Mm-hmm. Tight end's a spot where maybe we could. I mean, we yeah. might have some elite guys. I mean, our guys are tall. Austin Allen, six foot six. You've got Volklet coming in, this 250, six foot six guy. I mean, not to mention Jack Stoll, who's been doing this now for three years. So... And if and if we're true to believe that Beckton's a good position coach, and I think he is, and you know that that Martinez has had all this time to develop some sort of chemistry with these guys, that should be something to look forward to. All these recruits fit that profile that you're talking about. They're big, tall dudes too. Yep. And what's so interesting is what Wilt Fong said. Within a 50 mile radius, we are basically able to recruit the number one tight end class in the country. Mm-hmm. We didn't have to go national to get the number one class of a position group because. There is fertile ground yep. right around here. Yep. And I've heard this from more than one person that it's nice that Frost got these guys, but Fedoni was already going to be a Nebraska yep, league. Sure. Or Carney, of course, he's from Lancaster County. You're not going to lose him. That it totally discredits what Frost has built over the last three years. Let's not do revisionist history, and let's go back to the day that Frost was brought in mm-hmm. to be our coach. When he did his introductory press conference, he left – Memorial Stadium to go five miles away to try to bring in Bryson Williams, a kid who's committed to Wisconsin, a school that's beaten us seven straight years because Nebraska didn't bother to go after him. There are no gimmies in this area. And when Frost, if it's starting to feel like it's a gimme because we got a guy in a, oh, a hundred mile radius of here, if it feels like a gimme, it's all because of Frost. Frost created that because Noah Fant would have left, did leave to go to Iowa. Mm -hmm. So there's no reason to think that Chris Hickman wouldn't have followed. There's no reason to think that Fedoni wouldn't have gone to one of those places too because he's an NFL prospect, and yep. why wouldn't you go somewhere else? There's no reason to think Carney would have come here just because he went to Norris. Right. There's no reason to he think – Kansas State and Iowa offer, so. The amount of years that went between Nebraska getting Omaha kids from back in the DJ Jones and Niles Paul year, and I think it went all the way to Deshaun Neal and Michael Decker. I think that was like a seven- or eight-year span where we just didn't go after an Omaha kid. Wasn't that Omaha didn't have talent. It wasn't that there weren't players to go after. Point is, that's something that Frost has shut down. And we are absolutely going to make sure these kids know that they are wanted here. Yeah, and I understand. I mean, shut down is a relative term, right, Honky? Because yes. in the reality, Frost is doing everything he can. He's making sure he's recruiting Omaha and Nebraska really well. And those offers are out there. And even with that, you still lose a few guys, right? This is a, sure. an exceptional year for Nebraska talent. We lose Avante Dickerson and Caden Johnson, and we still get five guys in state. That's an amazing haul. Correct. Um, but for anybody to say, well, that's a no-brainer that we're not going to get James Carney or or Fredoni or anything like that, they're not paying attention to us losing a few guys. that We um, we would have loved to have Avante Dickerson. Maybe we're still trying to get Avante Dickerson, right? So to think that this is an open-shut case is, is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, my thing is just simply that it's a big deal, and we need to celebrate the carnies that we get mm-hmm. as much as the kid from California and the Florida. And I love the fact that Nebraska offered seven kids this year. And there's going to be somebody out there that's going to say, this is an exceptionally talented year, and that's why seven were offered. And you know what? You're right. The other side of me goes, the reason that the seven guys got offers is because we have a coaching staff that's willing to offer seven guys. In the past, we would have guys that would, again, Bryson Williams is a perfect example of this. The guy had a all kinds of P5 offers, and he was five miles away from us, and we still didn't bother offering him. The same year that Ethan Piper had offers from Iowa, and we didn't bother offering him until Frost got here. So don't tell me that this is just all of a sudden a really talented year. We've had talent in this state in the past. We didn't respect it. We didn't go after it. So what Frost has done is he is doing everything within his power to close down the borders. And Dave, you're absolutely right. That doesn't guarantee you're going to get every kid. You're still going to lose one or two here or there. But this is a day of celebration. And you know what? The celebration goes beyond just getting those 
kids that uh, mm-hmm. take the scholarships. We have some walk-on offers here. Last week, Dave, we talked about the the son of Brian Schuster, former fullback. He became the first walk-on offer of 2021 that uh, that agreed to come here. So we have him. Uh, now we have another legacy that we've offered here. Outside linebacker and tight end Jake Perella. I think we all know what that name oh, is from, yeah. from Lutheran West, uh, Ohio. Uh, he announced that he got an, a walk-on offer from Big Red, and he was very happy about that, uh, saying he was so fired up to receive a, an offer from his dad's alma mater. And then just tonight, Kellen Meyer from Ord, Nebraska, a kicker, the Chanticleers of Ord, he actually did commit. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, he had a 58-yard field goal. We would have taken that on the team a year ago. Yeah, I've taken a 35-yard field goal. <laughs> so, again, this is all – it's about the local kids, right? It's about you build your base from the from the inside and then you move out. But I really love the direction of where we're going. I love what Frost is doing from that perspective. And to me, those are the things that are going to make us very competitive for years to come. You know, Hawk, we heard from uh, quite a few of the coaches last week. And uh, one thing that I picked up on, I think it was from Ryan Held, was that Ronald Tompkins, who, you know, uh, had multiple knee surgeries both in high school and then as well after he got here, um, seems to be really showing up here in practice, which is a really pleasant surprise, right, Mac? I mean, we've been waiting for this guy to get healthy. And one of those things where you're just kind of crossing your fingers. You're just hoping for his sake that he gets a shot to get healthy and to compete. And it seems like he's making some waves. Yeah, he could be a complete X factor in how we view the depth of that room, right? Because Held said it himself, he was as talented as anybody in the country coming out of high school um, at the running back position and just has just been snake bitten by by injuries. He's just gone to work, done his rehab, and he's now worked himself back into, you know, he's mentioned as a, as a possibility for the number two position, which brings me to two parts. Is one is we have a clear number one. Hell's called Mills the bell cow. Yep. And how long has it been since we've had that going into a season when we had a bell cow running back? It's been a minute. And then you're hearing good things about Ramirez Johnson, too, gaining some weight, getting a little bit mm-hmm. heavier. They said he's around 205. That's a good number for him. If he's maintained his speed, I, I can't even really envision that right now because in my mind, he's like this 5'10", 185, 190 guy. Mm-hmm. If he's a little thicker, can still maintain that explosiveness, that's something pretty special. We already know... That were you know Scott and and Sevion are are guys that we're thinking have a lot of potential. So it, it it is exciting. He held said he's got a good room. You have to prove it. Obviously, we know they have to prove it. You know, but if we have a improved perimeter blocking, we've got better play in the quarterback position. And the line's good to go right away. You know, there's no reason to think they couldn't come out and just really start balling right away. Well, I think the bell cow thing is a big deal. Mm-hmm. When's the last time, Mac, that we've had a bell cow of a running back at any time of a year? Not Greg Bell, but a bell cow. <laughs> that's right. I would say Ozigbo was at the end of his season, but that's that's my point, though, going into it. Correct. No, you're absolutely right. You you answered it exactly how I was hoping you would. A mirror, probably, right? Well, no, I, I think it is a Zigbo at the end of the year. Yeah, but going into a season, to Mac's point. Probably, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, that's, a, that's an even better question. Maybe, see, you guys are better asking questions than I am because, yeah, when's the last time that we had one going into it? It probably was a mirror. Azigbo was the last one that we had at any point in the season, and it took us eight, nine games to get to there. Once we had that kind of player, oh my gosh, the offense looked amazing. It's exactly mm-hmm. what we need. When we started winning games. Yes. And, you know, actually, the answer to the question might have even been Mills by the end of last year. I think maybe we felt, no. but he probably really wasn't the bell cow yet because he wasn't getting the 25 carries, right? So that's what we need to see right away at the beginning. He needs to come out and just immediately be that guy that is a clear differentiator in the number of reps and, and carries that he's getting from anybody else. You know, Mac, this this is interesting. You know, it's a preseason talk evolves, right? And like I would say like a month ago, we were all excited about the wide receiving core. And now, you know, there's there's some questions there of where that's going to where the production is going to come from. But now maybe the running backs are actually looking a little bit like an opportunity to, to fill that, that void. Right. So if we have the bell cow in mills and we have three or four other guys potentially contributing, which one of those is best suited to be that uh, Swiss army knife. That's going to like play multiple roles in this offense and kind of be spotted all over the field maybe also lining up outside, for example, filling up a wide receiver spot because we need a little extra depth out there. 
my gut reaction to that is probably uh, Sevian or Ramir. I think those two, because I think it needs an explosive, like game breaking speed element to, to be that kind of split out guy. And from my understanding, both of those guys have that. Uh, Scott's more of that low to the ground, you know, built to last in between tackles running back, even though he's short, but I mean, he's, he's a stocky built dude. And I feel like he's going to be, you know, more, like I said, more in between the tackles. So yeah, I think between those two, and, and again, it's I don't know where to put uh, Ronald Tompkins if he's good to go. I really haven't seen mm-hmm. him run since high school. But if he's good to go, he's like that 5'11", 210. He's that sweet spot of a running back, really. You know, where maybe he just comes in and immediately there's no drop-off from Mills. I mean, that would be wondrous. If we could get Ronald Tompkins at that level, that would be amazing. And then we would be talking about a freshman. Let's imagine that, Mac, right? You've got Ramir and, and Tompkins as solid backups and then you have someone like Sevion, who you're just trying to get playing time with, and you're not worried about his uh, red shirt because True. there is no red shirt. You could have that guy out wide, and and suddenly you do maybe have a little extra depth. Uh, it's it's interesting. Well, it's like how many how many game breakers can you get on the field, right? We know Wandell's a game breaker. You know, Adrian's got game breaker potential. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Mills is good, but I don't know if he's a game. Well, to date, he hasn't been a game breaker. He's been solid, but he hasn't like busted off a big one. Mm-hmm. You know, Maurice Washington was for the time being. He was was here. Could Alante Brown be a game breaker? You know, could Sevian? Could Ramir? You know, like that's if we could get to three game breakers, that would be man. That changes this offense quickly. Well, could be a tight end, I suppose. As it pertains to the to the running back spot, you know, Simple even said, you know, bottom line, he goes held feels better at depth. So that and you can leave Robinson where he's best suited. So you know that running back spot, Dave. I don't think that Wandell needs to really be included much in there. He's going to get some carries here or there, but he doesn't really need to, to fit into that mix. I think that's how much our depth has changed from a year ago. Where you think of the Illinois game a year ago, where he was literally counted on to be the running back, or Minnesota yeah. Mac. My oh, God, my you know how many carries that guy taken the first first half, and here now we are just twelve months later. And we're looking at it, and, and he doesn't really even need to be considered a running back. That's the progress we've made, and uh, you know, Wandell can focus at that uh, wide receiver spot. You've got mail. Hi, mailman! I can't believe I'm going to be a mailman. What's in the bag? A shark or something? Let's uh, crack open that mailbag, Honk. All right. Well, first uh, question comes in from Brewmaster Bill. And uh, he said the Huskers have three tight ends in the 2021 class. Do you see any one of them being converted to wide receiver or a slot receiver, having tall, muscular receivers that can block downfield would tremendously help in the running game? Um, You know, we've talked a lot about tight ends, Mac. Do you see any of these three guys, Rollins, Carney, or Fedoni, do you see any of them? Somehow being converted out to a wide receiver, or do you see him moving to any yeah. other position? Period. I would bet they would go to the other side of the ball yeah. before they would go wide. Although I did see that I was just looking at those times. It sounds, you know, Fedoni. Everybody knows he's this athletic freak. He ran a four six three in one of the most recent camps. Carney ran a four six zero in those same camps. So Carney's faster. So there's that. But I mean, so we're, we're recruiting athletes at those positions. If I was going to predict what we were going to do with all of them and if someone was going to have to make a move, I would say that Rollins would go to the defensive side, maybe play an outside linebacker or, or something along those lines. It's a good it's a good question or it's a good problem to have to try to place all these athletes in different positions, but stockpiling 6'6", six six, 220 to 240-pound athletes, not a bad way to go. Not terrible. Boomer, uh, are you still awake? Of course, I've been uh, eagerly listening to uh, all the tight end talk and local recruiting. So, <laughs> well, let's throw. A He's question. our first listener, Honk. <laughs> let's throw a question to you, and this one's from uh, Richard Fitzwell. Uh, he took the hot mic off, so it's just Richard Fitzwell now, and we appreciate that. He says, "I know it was last episode's topic, but based on another weekend of high scoring games with horrific defenses, Big Twelve, but obviously, but also the SEC, does that make you think a team with even a decent defense?" could have more success this year given the offense does their part. So, Boomer, we've seen a lot of bad defense. Can a team get by and be pretty good this year if you just have enough a salvageable enough defense and score some points? Is that, is that all it's going to take in 2020? 
Well, I mean, you'd have to say yes to a degree at this point. We kind of covered this a little earlier in the show. You looked at, let's say, the alabama Old Miss game. What did you say? Alabama scored on, I think, was it nine straight drives? You know, if Old Miss has even a vaguely salvageable defense and stops them once or twice, Old Miss can win that game. You know, it wouldn't have to have been a great defense, because it certainly wasn't, but that's all it would have taken. You know, Alabama didn't look great on defense, but it was enough to hold them to a field goal at one point, and that's all it took to win that game for them. So, yeah, that does seem to be kind of a recipe, at least for these early games, you know, before maybe defenses have had a chance to settle down or kind of find their rhythm. You know, if you're just serviceable, you know, you've had a chance to get physical in practice and kind of maybe get your stride there. And like you said, that might be one of the things that benefits the Big Ten or hopefully teams like Nebraska that have seemed to embrace kind of that physical mentality in the offseason. We'll see if that can translate to success this year. And he does add that important caveat that the offense has to do its part, too. It's, you know, we yes. mentioned this before, this isn't just an all-or-nothing game. And, you know, special teams, folks, is important, too. So it's a, it's a three-part game. And so far, I don't know how many complete teams we've seen play yet this year everybody's kind of still testing waters and trying to muddy through things right now so if the crowd was there and allowed to do chants instead of hearing a classic like defense chant it'd be more like descent chants <laughs> and it'd be like a, a d with a penny or something like that just just be okay <laughs> just mix it up a little this year folks have fun you know, with it yeah. make them pun every fourth time you know <laughs> That would have been nice against Ohio State a few times. That would have been successful. I'll take so. decent. I'm I mean, not even mad. Should the black shirts come out to something different than black? Back in black, should you know? <laughs> is there like a, a song that's like a little less tough, but just just good enough? Touch of gray know? or something, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, status quo or something. I love Richard Marks. Yeah. <laughs> so um, let's hear Dave. Next question comes from uh, Sal Vasta from Twitter. He goes, uh, should fans be concerned with the apparent disappearance of Omar Manning? I think it's very telling that coaches, players are not talking about him at all, and he was supposed to be one of the greatest game changers this season. Here's a little bit of our disclaimer as a Redcast. We don't comment on things that we don't know about, and I don't think anyone really knows about all the details, but there just seems to be a lot of smoke here. What are your thoughts on current situation with Omar? Well, there's definitely concerns just in the sense of, you know, we anticipated Omar to be a significant contributor to the offense and really a game changer in that wide receiver spot. We need that big bodied receiver. I've said that over and over again. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm concerned. Um, honestly, the fact that Scott Frost and others have talked about Omar and that he's been dealing with some injuries and maybe some personal issues is actually somewhat reassuring that they're still talking about him because if he was gone, uh, if he was not in the program, they would not be saying that. They, they, that would be even worse, right? So, I mean, and the fact that he's still in the program and maybe there's a few things here that needs to get figured out, I'm optimistic that he's still going to contribute in some way, uh, maybe significantly this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just may not be in the first game. I, I just, we just don't know enough at this point. And everything can change. We've got two weeks to go, right? You know, to that respect, you know, a week ago, Coach Frost was on Husker Sports Nightly. Uh, he talked about how Omar is doing great, but he has had to miss some time for personal and health reasons. That's delayed his progress, but that's all we, we really know at this time. There's mm-hmm. no reason to jump to any further conclusions. But let's just, for the sake of it, Mac, if he wasn't available to play all of Ohio State, there are other options still that even fit the bigger receiver bill that we didn't have a year ago. Yeah, I mean, I'm still super excited about Xavier Betts. I think he's going to be a special talent, and I haven't heard anything about anybody mention him, which I think is sandbagging. Isn't that kind of isn't that cool though? No coach is talking about some freshman that hasn't played yet and making him into the he's next like the All American. Hyped four star I've ever seen. You know, like yeah. he, he's an elite talent, and like we're so afraid to talk about him, which is cool. Would love nothing more for him to to shock, but. There's other guys, too. We've talked about Hickman, right? Yeah, Hickman's, I mean, Hickman's a big, tall, rangy, now wide receiver. It remains to be seen how how elite he is in the speed category, but he is a great perimeter blocker, Mm -hmm. which is something that can help with open up the run game, which is probably more important at this point than making sure we have super rangy, tall, stretch of field wide receivers when we still have a Wandell and the tight ends Mm -hmm. we plan on using. So, you know, the brutalness of the 2020 offseason continues with more, like, uncertainty with some of these Mm -hmm. guys we been hoping to count on but i've said this from the beginning if i haven't seen you play for nebraska i don't know how to miss you when you're gone you know so Mm -hmm. i I would love him to be on the team and contribute but i've I've never seen it before so i won't necessarily miss it either there is one guy we haven't seen play in nebraska's uniform but dave have you seen 
Levi Felk, the wide receiver, the transfer from uh, South Dakota. Have you seen some of his video? And I mean, he's played against teams North Dakota State, but also against like K State. I mean, this is a bigger body receiver too. That uh, you know, he's had some put up some decent numbers against good competition. Yeah, you mentioned that K State game, and you're right. He's six two, I think. You know, yeah, he's and two so, two ten something like that. Yeah, so you know, I mean, he's not six four or anything, but I mean, six two. That's similar to Betts. And it was lots of experience, and the fact is we're going to have him for two more years. So uh, you're hearing good things from him out of camp, and the more depth, the better here at this point. And, you know, the more bodies in that position, you just have to expect better production than what we got last year. Yeah, if we're going to keep it on a local tip, too, that Ty Han walk on, he's a 6'4 guy. He, he was a, he's a heck of an athlete. He come, you know, he walked on last year, so who knows? I mean, guys like that. You know, like a Todd Peterson, a Nate sure. Swift, guys that, or, or uh, more recently, like Brandon Riley, who come up. All from, number 87, right, Matt? All, well, I assume this guy's number 87. If he isn't, I'll make a call. But, uh, I mean, those guys make a dent. It, yeah, it's well, not all and, you kind of need. And Ty Han, he was like a blue shirt, I guess. I mean, you have so many different like levels. There's yeah. gray shirts and Neapolitan. blue shirts and red shirts like and right in between. walk-ons and everything. Yeah. But yeah, you know. I think what Frost has done is he's stockpiled a roster that just gives you depth on top of depth. That's At the end of the day, that's what we're looking for. All right. Well, we had a question earlier from Jeremy Minnesota about wanting to be on the BetCast, and, and we're still not positive if that can happen, Jeremy. But as far as uh, – <laughs> as far as We just don't know yet. Yeah, we just, we just don't know. But as far as the mailbag goes, he goes, first off, uh, absolutely phenomenal show, guys. Keep up the great work. So – that guarantees you a spot on every mailbag. You just keep saying that, Jeremy. Look good, Jeremy. Um, but he goes, what will constitute a successful season to you guys? Boomer, I'll start with you. That's a good question. Um, you know, and this goes with all the caveats that, you know, who knows what happens during the season if, you know, COVID, all that stuff. If certain players have to sit, that totally throws everything to the wind. You know, I, I'd break the season into two parts. Uh, what I want to see, successful season, I want to see these first four games competitive. At least two wins, I think, out of the first four. I mean, if you start 1-3 and three, or, God forbid, 0-4 to start the season, you know, it's tough competition, yes, but let's at least show we're taking those steps that we all think we need to, and we expect for us to. I mean, this is a good chance as any to do so. I think we'd be in good shape there. And then the second half of the season, those are the teams we should be competing with year in and year out, not really... I hate to use the term they should be the gimme wins, but those are the teams that we ideally think we should be better than on a regular basis. So let's start showing that. So I'd like to see, you know, if we could get, you know, five to six wins, I think, this year. So, Boomer. Yeah. And I'm getting, my parting shot's going to be about this a little bit. We have people that listen to us from outside of just Husker Nation. Now. We have Redcasters, <laughs> I guess I call them that, but at least loyal listeners that do not like Nebraska. And they're going to hear you say the gimme wins. And I know you said that with quotations. Right. But three of those four last games are against teams we lost a year ago. Correct. You know, Purdue is a team that we consider a gimme win, and we've lost three of the last five to them. Yes, mm-hmm. quite a few. Mm-hmm. How do you, I guess, how do you respond to that? Well, I just, it comes down to what our goals as a program Thank are. Thank you. Are our goals to just be that average kind of middling, uh, we'll get a Rose Bowl every decade or so in Ohio State's in a playoff or something like that, and we're fine with that? No. I think Nebraska fans want to shoot higher than that. Are we, have we done that for the last few years? No, we haven't. Is it crazy for us to want to be high, shoot higher than that? No, I don't think it is. And we're setting those goals for this team, this program. I want to see us start to start taking steps to doing that. Mm-hmm. It may not work every year. And it may not work this year, but that's what I want to see us do. And this is a fan podcast, and that's that's what we want to see. You don't have to sell me. I love it, Boomer. Dave, I'm going to ask you the same question. And think back to our Loud Noises show back in November when you walked Mac and, and I off the cliff. You know, you know, after another losing season. But what will constitute a successful season to you? I've actually flipped my position while I was listening to Boomer there. Because I, I was thinking about the wins and losses. And I'm like, well, you know, if we just simply finished. And I'm thinking now, like, sounds like a bowl game is, is now out there, right? It sounds like bowl season may happen. And you don't need to have a 500 record, which is intriguing. So And embarrassing. if you presume that we are are going to a bowl you know we could get to five and five but we could go three and five in our first eight get a really soft 
crossover in week nine and get a really soft bowl game. So I really don't think even a specifically saying 500 would constitute that. So, I mean, I, I do think it is, and this is actually your, to your theme there, Boomer, is that there's the teams that you feel like you should win. And that's no disrespect to Northwestern, Purdue, or Illinois, but just from a program standpoint, you need to win those games. And then after that, it's it's like, how many wins can you get from Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Iowa? You know, one out of three would be good. That would get you four and four. But you, you'd really like to, I'd feel really good about two out of three. I think you kind of, as a Nebraska fan, you got to think you're going to win one of those three. But could you win two of those three? So that would be where I'm at. Because, I mean, Ohio State and Penn State, hey, we still a win there. That's great. But I'd love to be five and three, but beat both you know, a Wisconsin and Minnesota or an Iowa, Wisconsin, some of that combination. Okay, so Mac, Dave is talking, you know, starting to have some of that success in the West, and that is absolutely right. I mean, sure. we need to start to, to win that division. Do you have any swagger you're going to bring here? We talked with us guys last weekend, yeah. right? I mean, where's the swagger at? Well, I mean, I, I it's been a weird college football season already, and I, I've seen – Games go opposite of the way people thought they were going to go. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to say Ohio State's ripe for the upset, but the truth is we don't know. I feel like as far as prep for the season goes, we're about as good as any team could be. Now, that's unfortunate that we play probably one of the top three teams in the nation that first week. Sure. But at the end of the day, we'll know where we stand right after that game. So I, I hate to tell Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Iowa this. I might take Wisconsin out of this, but I don't sweat the other two. I I, I just don't. I Minnesota acts like they beat us last year, and it's this common thing. We smoked them the year before it was our first win. Yeah. So what are you talking about? I'm. It's just. Do you and, realize- and Iowa was two walk-off field goals and, and some kicker blowing us a kiss. And I promise you, no one's forgotten that. <laughs> Dude, Mac, it, what's so funny is, do you realize the emails and and the calls so, I listen, might get from what you hey, just said? But you know what? I don't it's care. In the name. Well, I don't care. You know what? For all the Minnesota guys that want to say, look how far we are. Okay, fine. Take the last two years and tell me how far apart yeah. we are in terms of score. For the Iowa people that sit there and go, Iowa's so much better. Great. If we happen to go up and you 7 nothing, my first tweet that's going to happen, the second that we're up 7 nothing, is Scott Frost has outscored Ferentz by one point during the last two years. Because that's how close this has been. Exactly. Wisconsin's a good team. Wisconsin's a good program. Iowa's a good, te- a good team and a good program. Yeah. Minnesota is fresh on the scene. Stop acting like you're big time. It's it's irritating. Yeah, I, I'm just sorry. I'm, I'm all of a sudden you guys. I didn't. I realize Minnesota fans talk so much crap. I'm like I, I had no problem with Minnesota until they beat us last. Well, year. if you go back over the last 140 years, you see that's that's the key. Well, and, and see, Michael, that's maybe that's my ignorance showing. So with all that being said, I, I would be I would call three losses a successful season. Yeah. Unless I, they were fun, unless they were Minnesota, Iowa, <laughs> yeah, and Wisconsin. <laughs> our next question is from Ethan Hutchinson in our Go Big Redcast at Gmail inbox, and he says, "Looking at the defensive line depth, it seems like we are give or take eleven deep at the three defensive line positions." Now, I'm going to paraphrase because there was a lot more to this. He talked about. Eagles and Patriots and Super Bowls and great seasons in the pros. Basically, you're talking about how the depth of the defensive line was yeah. a great indicator uh, he, of success. I mean, he he broke down things like snap count percentages and all that. So at the at the end of the day, he goes, my question is, what kind of splits would you like to see this year in terms of playing percentage? Because he wants to see Stilly, Robinson, and Nash all get at least 35% of snaps each. I mean, what are your thoughts, I guess, specifically to those three guys getting 35% of snaps? Is that well, important? 100% it's important that we have uh, defensive line depth and defensive line size in our depth. You know, that's yes. that's a big part of it. If I, I don't know I don't know how I, if I break down the percentages as such because I think a lot of it's going to be situational. And I think some mm. guys are going to be more used on third down. Some guys are going to be more used on first down. Nash, you know, being a, a true freshman, I, uh, 35% of the snaps, that's – if we get that out of him, it's either going really well this year or, or not so good at all. You know, so I, I don't know. Um, I, I think Robinson and Steely should probably have some of the higher percentages of snaps at that line. I, freshness is one thing, but you also want some experience. You want some power and you want some and size in there. So mm-hmm. uh, it's an interesting question because I had never really thought about breaking it down that, like that far. And the depth is impressive when you say 11 deep. That's great. 
But, you know, to your point there, I mean, Ty Robinson, big, Huge. strong dude, four-star, all the things you'd yep. want. Stilly, a guy that's been here for five years. Dave, is there a D lineman? And, and again, we've talked about, you know, nine, 10, 11 guys. Now, some of them are freshmen and some of them are five-year guys. Is there somebody that you'd really like to see excel out of that whole group? And, you know, maybe it's someone we're not talking about, but is there someone that kind of comes out of that D-line group that, that takes the reins and, and at least gets the 35% that Ethan's talking about? Really tough question. Uh, I mean, like, I, I thought it was easy that out of those three to say that Nash Hutmacher shouldn't get 35%, right? I do yep. think Ty Robinson and definitely Stilly are going to get 35%. I would throw out there Jordan Riley as mm. a guy that we're not talking a lot about that may get a lot of snaps. Uh, you know, Keem Green might be in that same camp, but, um, I think they recruit Juco guys for a reason there and and one of those two guys um both jucos are going to show up so i'll say that one of those two are going to get at least 35 percent of the the snaps i agree well last question this comes from our facebook page and this comes from ko from c-town and uh he talked about (laughs) you know what actually my defense on my fantasy team right now is the buccaneers and it's because uh mac there's a couple of players yeah a couple former black shirts yep uh hashtag pro big red you know, it's funny. In 2009, Sue, you know, we had the great defense. Mm-hmm. 2010 is the first year of Levante David. And I actually remember at that time going, gosh, how great would it be if David and Sue oh, could man. have ever matched up on the same defense? How great could we have been? Mm-hmm. Well, KO from Seatown, he asked that. He goes, Sue and Levante David are now on the same NFL defense. Have there been any better former Husker teammates in the same NFL offense or defense, past or present? And I'm going to go with Dave. Well, there's an obvious answer here, and I'll let uh, Honky take that because that's just <laughs> what he wants to do. It's just it's just right in your wheelhouse. So I'll go a little bit off the, the beaten path here, but I think a really solid choice. Uh, Mike Rucker, very good D-end for the Carolina Panthers. Played with Mike Minter, who is a kind of like a Ring of Honor type guy for the Panthers, I feel like. And if I'm not mistaken, Jason Peter was on that team for a couple years, too. So there's three Nebraska black shirts on the same NFL defense. Great answer there. That is a solid, solid pick. Three black shirts is good. That's outstanding. And, man, how good were those defenses back then in the 90s? I mean, to have that, right? Absolutely. Mac, how about you? Um, I'll stay on the defensive side. The Rams, uh, Javon Wright's dad, Toby, uh, and uh, Grant Wistrom, he's a fantastic player. So that's that's my pick. Boomer, uh, who do you have from like the 1800s? Well, you were close, and uh, whatever you guys are picking is clearly going to be wrong, because the correct answer, of course, is from the NFL champion 1922 Canton Bulldogs, (laughs) which featured uh, two of the... Two stars from uh, Jumbo Steam's 1915 team. Uh, one Edson Shaw, who uh, was a <laughs> played all sorts of positions for the for the Canton Bulldogs and was their second leading scorer and their top leading scorer and also their head coach was Guy Chamberlain. You might have heard of him. So that I'm is sure that is truly the correct answer. He's in the Hall of Fame. He is correct. So Boomer, let me clarify really quick here. That was the first uh, NFL champion. Well, it was kind of one of those weird precursor NFL things. So, yeah, but uh, they do give themselves credit as being a, an NFL champion in 1922. And Guy Chamberlain was the head coach. Yep, head coach, yeah. and uh, he played a couple of positions for him and their leading scorer. And Edson Shaw was their second leading scorer. So that was a Husker back team and NFL champs. Undefeated, my might add. It's awesome, Boomer. Um, to Dave's point, I will give the obvious one. And You go back to the 80s and the San Francisco 49ers, and they were the team of the decade. And to have Roger Craig and, mm-hmm. and Rathman in the backfield. Um, and people sometimes forget Jamie Williams is a tight end. He wasn't a starter. You had Dwight Clark and you had Brett Jones. But still, I mean, Jamie Williams was a tight end throughout many of those years. All of us that grew up on Super Tecmo Bowl, uh, you know, who didn't have those two guys? You know, you'd hand the ball off to, to Craig and follow Rathman through the hole and everything. I mean, those guys. The other thing I always remember about them is they had Huskers on the helmet. You know, where I think it was supposed to say Riddell or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the devil the the, the brand was. Uh, you know, they had Huskers up there. That was pretty cool. You know, other ones, and, and we were kind of talking a little bit like off air. Honorable mention type. Honorable thing. mention. 
Redskins had Roy Hallou and Niles Paul and Spencer Long. I mean, that's yeah. that's impressive there. How about a couple of the Lions teams that had Sue and Vandenbosch mm-hmm. on defense, or they had Schlesinger and Rayola on offense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can go back to Steinkuhler and Rozier with the uh, the Oilers. Oh. I mean, that's great. ah yes. The how come you didn't say Oilers. that earlier? That was a great one. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear the Houston Oilers fight song right now. KO from C-Town. That is an outstanding question. Thank you. I mean, you you actually made us have to put a little bit of work into the, to our answer. I mean, we took a break to just talk about it, and, and that was a legit question. So thank you very much, KO. All right, Hawk. Let's uh, move on with some parting shots. Redcast Nation is growing, and so much so that we brought in a number of followers from the other side, Mac. <laughs> Not just Nebraska fans. Mm-hmm. You know, we have fans from other Big Ten teams, from other college football teams, and we'll do a show now and we get contacted by them. And I'm talking fans from Oklahoma to Minnesota, Iowa to Ohio State, Alabama to, to Oregon. Mm-hmm. And we've had people that have contacted us and they've taken issues with some of the things we've said, yep. which is kind of crazy. Specifically, an Oregon fan that did not like some of the things that we were talking about a couple of shows ago, which was kind of crazy. All I can tell them is I always want to remind them that we are a Husker fan mm. podcast. Correct. We are, I think we're as, about as objective as you can be as Husker fans. But at the end of the day, that's what we care about. We're Husker fans. We don't take ourselves too serious. But I will always say we certainly appreciate the support of anyone that follows us. All that said, it doesn't mean we never screw up or we don't ever say something that might be a little bit wrong. So with that said, 151 shows in. Is there anything you have ever said on the Redcast to this date that you wish you could take back? Dave, how about you first? Yeah, I I think at least on more than one occasion, I've said, good question, honky, which (laughs) is obviously wrong. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's very fair. Boomer, has there been anything? I mean, in 150 shows, three and a half years of doing this, anything you've ever looked back and gone, you know, I was just flat out wrong for saying. Well, first off, I, I was kind of hoping you'd actually sing these questions to us, you know, kind of like you did your opening, maybe style of They Might Be Giants or Orange Juice or something like that, since you're going with the Proclaimers mode. But, uh, uh, well, maybe, oh, regrets, I've probably had a few, but uh, maybe some of those picking Nebraska to upset Ohio State kind of things in a, in a bout of extreme overconfidence and occasional uh, imbibing during podcasts. But uh, that might be about it. <laughs> Other than that, everything else, we're going guns out. You know, all guns in. I I appreciate you every day, Boomer. Mac, anything? I mean, I feel like most of the stuff I'd I'd regret you edited. So (laughs) I I don't have to really apologize for much. My opinions are my own. And uh, no, I mean, honestly... I don't remember. I probably, <laughs> I probably said some stuff that was stupid, but I, my intentions are always, you know, pro big red. So I, uh, no, not really. The only thing I can really think of, and this is like show number two or three for me, but and Dave, you could probably I've got guess a couple for you. Well, <laughs> yeah, probably, but Dave can probably guess this one for me. It was like show two or three, and I was talking about the defensive coaches. Oh, good, that's what I was going to bring and, up. And at that time, it was like Perella, who I love. We just talked about his son, you know, being a walk-on offer here, and I love Perella, I really do. And Diaco, who was a Broyles Award winner, oh, yeah. and Bray at linebackers coach, and Bob Elliott. I oh. love. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Love him. R.I.P. Man, we love Bob Elliott. We got to meet him at the coaches' clinic. And then, um, who was the other D, uh, the the young guy that he's now at USC? The D, Dante Williams. Williams yeah. Dante Williams. Um, Crushing it on the recruiting trail. Exactly. And I made the reference like in show two or three. Or I go. I go. This could be. Yeah. I said this could be the best defensive coaching staff we've ever had. At least dating back to like you know a nineties. Coaching staff with like McBride and mm-hmm. Samuel and Steele and you know Darlington, those guys, right? And I made that statement, and I, I will stand by the fact that individually, those guys are really darn good coaches. But collectively, and in, in terms of having the support of the head coach, and you're making a switch in mm-hmm. in in how your scheme is and everything, it just ended up being a disaster, right? Because I was literally talking about the coaching staff that led into the 2017. Okay. So yes. Um, that's that's a mistake, and I, I, I own that. But, I mean, I think those are all great coaches, and I think they have great futures. I still believe it. Yeah, it was a 2020 LSU-esque type defensive 
performance though that with that that's man isn't that crazy or orgeron brings in Polini, and there's no reason from that perspective you're bringing in a former dc that had won a national championship in baton rouge i mean there's a lot of excitement going into the season and a lot of that has to do with that defensive coordinator and holy smokes dave we're three weeks in in lsu and they're they're jumping ship i would also note a boomer please record this that um Hockey says that Bob Diaco is a darn good coach right now, so I want to make sure we have that down because we'll see if he regrets that and show three hundred and one. Yeah, yeah. All you need is the the reputation <laughs> of a defense. Well, the reputation is there, and you can Mac, keep yes. getting hired, Bob Diaco. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's he's still getting hired, and Bo Pelini's just letting records happen left, right. So he's a defensive genius, guys. Genius. It doesn't matter. We'll stop a plane. To get Bob Diaco to come here <laughs> to tuck in his sweatpants and hold the microphone up to his mouth and do some sort of, what, what was this, uh, scorpion and turtle metaphor. <laughs> I mean, it was, it's all ridiculous. It's and, but, but what's your defensive genius? You're a defensive genius for life. That's yeah, the it, never go, it never goes You'll away. never not have a job. Yes. I mean, Tim Beck keeps getting work, doesn't he? <laughs> That's true. They all keep getting work. Move on, dude. <laughs> All right, I, I think that was a parting shot. I don't know. It felt like an entire segment. And raises. Work and raises. Work and raises, yeah. Uh, Mac, please make it shorter than that. <laughs> um, oh, I remember what I was going to say for my parting shot. I know, I know everyone's you know a little upset about this, you know, possibly some Omar Man- Manning rumblings, and I've heard a lot on the boards about JUCOs and why we shouldn't be taking any chances on them. And if it's a behavioral thing, then, it, it, you know... It goes to show why you don't take those guys. But I would I would like to point out that our starting running back got booted off his original team for some behavioral issues. And since he's been on our team, has been nothing but a great teammate, yep. a great worker. And he's he's proven that some guys do indeed deserve a second chance. And I feel like we need to, you know, just be a little more open to that kind of yeah. idea. You know, they, these are just young kids and they're trying to do the best they can. And, and it's, it's great to see. I, I just don't think... Mills has got enough credit for how good he's done and, yeah. and the road he's had to take. And he's really poised for a really big year. I don't get enough credit for as smart as I am. I don't get enough credit for being 43. But if you heard Honky at 22 or whatever, 20 or 18, you know, I, I haven't always been this intelligent. You, so who would have thought you made it to 43? I know. Honestly. So the point is, is that, you know, I do, to your point, Max, seriously, to your point. We jump on kids so fast, and oh my god, they make a mistake, and oh, they had to go the juco route. This is why they're juco. Yeah, this is why they are, and that's completely unfair. And I love seeing kids getting second chances and making the most of it. And exactly to your point there, I think Mills is a perfect example Mm -hmm. of that. And and I think we have other guys on this team that that are are, you know primed to do that same thing too. And so let's not jump on the rumor mills. Mm -hmm. In fact, let's be above that, Redcasters. Let's not let's be above. You know, the rumor mill of, like, I heard something on this or that, and then you, you just go crazy with it. Yeah. Let these situations play out, and let's not go crazy with yeah. it. Well said, Honk. Agreed. Boomer, what do you got? All right, well, uh, first off, just want to give another shout-out to our listeners down under and uh, fellow St. Kilda Saints fans. Uh, they they did fall short in what would be the semifinals of the, the finals of the Australian Football League, but that was a great performance for them this season. Got a lot more of them than I expected, and first time they'd been there since 2011, so good job, Saints. And uh, that's a more somber note. It's been kind of a rough October for lots of old uh, old hands in Major League Baseball. Uh, Omaha's Bob Gibson passed away earlier this month, and uh, just recently we lost both Whitey Ford and Joe Morgan. So a lot of old names and years gone by are, are passing on, so just want to give a shout-out to them and condolences to their Family and friends. Great call there, Boomer. We have lost uh, a lot of legends lately, and that includes Eddie Van Halen. Um, our graphics guy, Dan, has been a Van Halen fan for a long time. Actually, uh, I saw Van Halen in concert with Honky and Dan down in KC in, I think, 96 or so. And um, just an absolute guitar legend, and he'll be missed as well. All right, for now, let's call that a Go Big Redcast. Good. Here we are.